Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. So today we are in part four, our final part of our series on what is the Holy Spirit saying to the churches, and that's taken from Revelation 2-7, where the resurrected Jesus encourages the churches to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So really, for the last three weeks, we've been leaning in to listen. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to this local church? And then what might you be saying to the broader church, the different streams in the church? And I'm grateful to Al King last week for what he shared. I thought it was really good. I've been pondering it this week. And I'm grateful for the, the panel of people that got up here and shared about what it means to hear from the Holy Spirit and then shared some of the things that God was speaking to them. Can you believe it? Next week, we'll actually begin Advent. So Kaylee is going to be kicking off Advent. And as we do each year, we're going to be doing Advent homilies. What's a homily? A homily is a shorter teaching or sermon. And so we'll have more time for worship and singing. And then we'll have a short word from the scriptures on the coming, the appearance, the advent of Jesus. And then on January 2nd, we'll do worship and stories again. So I'm trying to give you a little preview of what we'll be doing. And then in 2022, we are going to be doing an extended series in the book of Acts. So we'll be digging into the book of Acts for the new year, and I think that will hold all kinds of timely wisdom and, and words for us as we become a vineyard church and align ourselves with a vineyard movement. So I want to pray for us here as we open the scriptures. I'm going to be looking at 2 Timothy 2, but before that, I just ask you, Father, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you and knowing your word, encountering your truth. And I just ask for your grace and your truth, your mercy to wash over us as a church, as a church family. This morning as we open your word, speak to us, challenge us, transform us. And set us on fire, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. So a few weeks ago, I had laid out a handful of things that I sensed the Holy Spirit was saying to this church and to the churches. And so today I want to pick back up with that and lay out three things. And the first is that I sensed the Lord saying that he wants us as a local church to train and mobilize young disciples and young leaders like never before. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. This is the Apostle Paul who is a father in the faith, a father in Christ to many. But he's writing this letter and he's writing these words to his spiritual son, his spiritual child, Timothy. And tucked in this is a word for us. 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. 
And again, I'm encouraging us to bring our Bibles each week or grab a pew Bible. The Apostle Paul says this, You then, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me through many witnesses and trust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. So here, Paul urges Timothy, his son in the faith, first and foremost, to be strong in grace. The grace of God is there for him as a young leader, and he's urging him to be rooted and strengthened and empowered in the grace of God. And then if you look at verse 2, what Timothy had observed and learned from Paul, he was to pass on to other faithful people who in turn would teach others and train others. It's as simple as that, friends. That is how the church started, modeled on Jesus with his 12 hooligan disciples that he had. He passed on proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. He showed them how to share and live the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And then we find Paul doing the same thing here with a church plant in Asia Minor and appointing this young person, Timothy. So I just want to say at All Saints that we are passionate about this. We're passionate about training and mobilizing young disciples, young leaders, young worshipers, young worship leaders. And I know this burns in your heart as well. And I think that the Lord has some amazing things for us in the coming days, in the coming years. And so I want to challenge us really to think in terms of even the next decade. Let's take 10 years and let's say, Lord, would you help us train and mobilize as many young disciples and young leaders as we possibly can? How does that sound, friends? And again, this is a perennial, an ongoing word that Paul is laying out here, but I think the Lord has something fresh on it for us in this hour. Now, that doesn't mean that the young people are more important or they're more special to God. It just means that we, older folks, are doing our jobs, and that is turning to the young people and making sure that they're rooted and grounded in the scriptures, that they're strong in the grace of God, that they know the faith, that they're willing to live for it and die for it. And so that's what we're committed to in mobilizing young disciples, young soldiers. And I want to mention this, that we're in the process right now with everything that's going on and the transition from the RCA to the vineyard and various things. We're actually going to have an All Saints internship And so we have got a lot of young people who are graduating from high school and entering college or taking gap years or going straight into the marketplace. And so we really want to target that age group and have an internship where they can have like a community within our community and connect with each other and form friendships and practice what 2 Timothy 2.2 is talking about. And so that's in formation now, and that's something that I was part of in Chicago at the Evanston Vineyard, where I was coming up through seminary. Steve Nicholson and I started an internship, and we had 15 young men and 15 young women from all walks of life. They were actually from all over the world, and they all, part of the internship was they held a job. And so they had one foot in the marketplace, and then we trained them to be disciples, to make disciples, to 
dive into the scriptures and rightly divide the word and to share it with other people and to do evangelism. So we're getting that underway here at All Saints. And so you'll be hearing more about that and speaking with Luke Dixon and Caden Sykes and others. And I just expect the Lord to grow that and nurture that as we say, Lord, we are committed to this. And we actually want to raise up leaders that can take over this church. And so that we're thinking with the long view in mind. So training and mobilizing young disciples. And the Lord's going to show us how to do it, isn't he? Some of you have great practice and great history with this, but there's always something new to learn. There's always fresh anointing and fresh wisdom. A second thing here, and we're going to spend most of our time looking at this, and that is using Holy Spirit discernment. I want to read a few texts here from Jesus and from the Apostle John and Paul. Jesus says in John 16, verses 13 and 14, if you want to look at it, he's speaking a word about the Holy Spirit as the great spirit of truth, the great discerner. Jesus says this, John 16, 13 through 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is laying out that his disciples, the future church, would rely on the Spirit of truth who would come to indwell them and speak to them and lead them and guide them. Look at 1 John 4 toward the end of the New Testament there. Hang a right in your Bible. Another word about Holy Spirit discernment. The Apostle John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the Apostle John, in that first century context, Al addressed this last week, there were winds of doctrine blowing through the new churches. And the Apostle John, as a great shepherd, was encouraging the people, test the spirits. Test the spirits to see. Have your discerner up. Have your filter up. Measure. Evaluate everything according to the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of Christ, the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. 1 Corinthians 12, 10, you can see that Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth about the different gifts. There's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this one doesn't get enough discussion and publicity. And I think now, more than ever, we need to pray for this gift. 1 Corinthians 12.10, Paul is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and distributing the gifts. And it says at verse 10, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the discernment of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. And the word he uses here is diacresis. It's the diacresis of spirits, and it means to see through, 
whatever it is that's being said or presented. So Paul is encouraging the people, saying that the Lord gives a spirit, a spiritual gift, a keen spiritual insight, gives eyes to the church. And he goes on to say that in the rest of that chapter and the next chapter. He gives eyeballs to the church, those that are particularly gifted to watch, to scrutinize, to analyze, as Al gave that picture last week. Those who handle the genuine dollar bills can spot a phony when it's put in their hands, sometimes even by seeing it. And so Paul is saying there is a spiritual gift of discernment that helps us do that. And the truth is all the saints walk in that to some measure. And then the Lord will gift the church with particular people. That will be their predominant gift. They'll be like the Sherlock Holmes in the church that can say, hey, wait, wait just a second here. This presents itself as something positive, but in fact, we need to look deeply into it. We need to pray. We need to measure it against the plumb line of Scripture. Friends, would you agree that in this cultural moment, we need the Holy Spirit's guidance and discernment more than ever? Friends, we do. I'm just finding myself praying this and praying and praying it. Lord, would you activate the gift of discernment in our local church? Would you strengthen it? Would you deepen it? Even in the young people, would you distribute that gift and teach them how to use it? And would you immerse them and immerse all of us in the truth of Scripture so that daily we're going through the car wash of Holy Scripture and having it wash over our minds? And friends, we need to do that. I need to do that. You and I need to do some detoxing from the media, from the propaganda that's out there, from the political conditioning. And I just want to ask us today as we look at some things that I'm going to lay out, are we spending more time in Scripture or with the people on CNN, Fox, or various online podcasts? Where's your time? And again, I'm looking in the mirror when I say this. I've had to really back off of a number of things because I've been a news hound and I'm finding it now so swirled and so overwhelming and potentially depressing that I'm like, I am going to commit myself to more time in the scriptures. Take Jake to school in the morning and I'm listening to the scriptures on the drive home. I'm doing some things that I haven't done in a while. Friends, let's root ourselves in the word of God like never before. Let's pray for Holy Spirit discernment. Al shared something last week. He was mentioning the problem of growing unhealthy nationalism. And I think that is one of the things that we need to keep in check. And I say it over and over again that we're kingdom people, aren't we? So we are people of the kingdom. It's President Jesus. It is Jesus Christ is Lord, not a political leader. Amen? Jesus is Lord, and we give our ultimate allegiance to him. Now, does that mean that we back out of the political? Of course not. But we have our priorities set straight. And so Al was talking about that, and he gave examples from 1930s and 40s Germany. And today, I want us to look at another potentially menacing movement 
and that is socialism and communism rooted in the teachings of Karl Marx. Some of you might say, why are we talking about this? And normally we look into the scriptures and we focus on that and we do expository teaching. But today I just want to take a moment. This is something that's been burning inside of me and I want to share it with you in the context of using Holy Spirit discernment. How does that sound? Sound okay? I want to share a little bit about Karl Marx and then I want to pinpoint actually a current movement that has adopted the methodologies and the ideology of Karl Marx and potentially make us a little bit uncomfortable as we lean into the gift of discernment and commit ourselves to the Word of God. Karl Marx, some of you know this, but he was born in 1818. He was born in Trier, Prussia, in Germany, the third of nine children. He was actually Jewish, Karl Marx. Had a Jewish mother, Jewish father, rabbis on both sides of the family, but his family converted to Protestant Christianity when he was six, and he was baptized into the Lutheran church. Karl Marx was actually a pretty committed disciple of Jesus as a youngster. And after the equivalent of his high school studies, Marx began to read some philosophy of Hegel and some of the other Germans at the time and was hoodwinked and basically renounced his faith, turned his back on Christ and the church, and became an atheist, a hardcore atheist. There's controversy around his atheism, as we'll see in a minute, because he was a pretty spiritual person, and he spoke about Satan and demons and things that really don't line up necessarily with an atheistic worldview. In 1844, Marx met a lifelong friend named Friedrich Engels. He was a German socialist, and they became co-workers for life. So he's the guy that, together with Marx, wrote the Communist Manifesto, which was published in 1848. Stick with me. All right, some of you are going, I didn't know I was going to get a history lesson, but friends, this is important. And as your pastor, I just, I feel it's important to have some of this laid out, and you can dig deeper on your own. The Communist Manifesto was a pamphlet that they put together that would become one of the most influential political writings in modern history. And this manifesto, this declaration that Marx and Engels made, was laying out a history of what they call class struggles. And it urged, to quote them, the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. That was the essence, that was the spirit of the Communist Manifesto, was basically to overthrow everything, to bring a pervasive revolution in pursuit of a greater communist revolution. I just want to share a few things about Marx, and there's a historian named Paul Johnson who wrote a book in 1988 called Intellectuals, and he scrutinizes. He looks deeply into the life and the the philosophy of Marx, and he points out some serious logical problems with Karl Marx. I'm going to lay out a few of those. And again, we're doing this in the context of where are our eyes? They're on Jesus. They're on the Lord Jesus. They're on the written word of God. We're saying, Lord, give us discernment. But friends, we're also supposed to be aware of our opponents 
And so Ephesians 6, we recognize, even as we look at Marx, that there are spiritual forces at play that seek to seduce the human race, to influence the church. So our eyes are on Jesus, but we also want to be informed. What is swirling around us right now? This historian said, I'm going to just share a few things. One is that Marx's theories do not work in the real world. He said, they don't work beyond the university lecture room. In in fact, Johnson says that Marx was a desk-bound theoretician who spent his time in the library in the study rather than reaching out among the working class people about which he was writing. So Paul Johnson looks at some of his Marx's initial interest in work, in poverty and exploitation, and he points out that Marx did not even talk to the peasants, nor look at their conditions, yet he was writing about their struggles. To quote Paul Johnson here, he says, Marx actually preferred to associate with middle class intellectuals like himself and made sure that working class socialists were eliminated from any positions of influence in his committees. Friends, his theories haven't worked. A second thing, this may come as news to you, rather surprising, coming from Jewish heritage, Marx was known for his radical anti-Semitism and racism, despite his own Jewish heritage. For example, he called a fellow colleague of his named LaSalle, Ferdinand LaSalle, who was a fellow socialist, he called him a Jewish N-word. Not gonna say it, but in his writings, that's how he addressed it. He called him a greasy Jew disguised under brilliant and cheap jewels. So friends, the very person that's being appropriated and utilized to talk about racial issues was in fact racist in his own words. Do you see the contradiction? Again, we're going to be looking at the roots and fruits of things, and we're seeing that the roots here are rotten. A third thing that Paul Johnson points out is that Marx theorized about the woes of capitalism while never seriously attempting to get a job. And he lived off the money of others. Marx did not work or provide for his wife and children. Marx lived off of the money of his own inheritance and from his friend Engels, who gave him 200 pounds a year, which was three times the average of a skilled workman. So for the last 15 years of his life, he lived comfortably off of inheritance, off of the money from Engels, and yet somehow he's lecturing the world on the evils of capitalism while he's living off the fruits of capitalism. So, my question is here, before we look at the spiritual side of Marx, how in the world is it that the theories of this guy, Marx, continue to seduce the minds of modern people when the roots are rotten and the fruits are violence, poverty, and death? Friends, discernment in this hour, Holy Spirit discernment. We're taking the magnifying glass over the life of Karl Marx Others 
underscore the spiritual problems with Marx. Just want to share a few of these. I've been doing some reading in recent years. One book in particular, if you're interested in this, by a guy named Robert Payne, has written a definitive biography of Marx. Robert Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. Just want to point out a few things here that speak to the spiritual side of Marx. Marx wrote letters oftentimes with people, including his family, including his father, Heinrich. His father, Heinrich, wrote this about his own son. He said that he was fearful that Karl's heart was animated and governed by a demon. And Marx wrote in a letter to his father that a deep unrest had mastered him and that specters, spirits, ghosts haunted him continually. A second thing about Marx's spiritual condition was that he wrote poetry often referring to Satan, demons, and seeking to destroy God. Marx speaks of God as, quote, a howling gigantic monster who curses mankind. And he speaks of humans in quote here, as apes of a cold God. Marx wrote love poetry. We would think maybe he'd lighten up a little bit with some love ballads, right? Not the case. In one of his love ballads, one of the prominent characters says this, thus heaven I have forfeited. I know it full well. My soul once true to God is chosen for hell. And so scholars have looked and seen where is Marx making some self-commentary? Where is he using these analogies to express his own condition? And then thirdly here, his spiritual condition, his friend Engels wrote this about Marx. After hearing much about him, reading some of his literature, he was about to meet him and he said this, it was as though 10,000 devils had seized Marx by the hair. So friends, Karl Marx revolted against God. He was tormented by this, and he opened himself up to spiritual darkness. If you read more about it, you can see. Marx loved this particular line by a fellow writer named Faust. Listen to what Marx said. And he quoted it, he chanted it, it was ever, friends that were around him said he was constantly saying this, everything that exists deserves to perish. So it doesn't take much to understand that Marx's ideology has spawned some of the most evil leaders and destructive regimes in modern history, leaving tens of millions massacred in their wake. Just want to mention a few, all right here. Lenin, early 1920s, up to 12 million people died because he was indoctrinated and implemented the ideologies of Marx. 12 million people. Stalin, another Russian leader, 1924 to 53, 23 million people massacred, motivated by Marxist ideology. In China, Mao Zedong, 1949 to 1976, up to 78 million died because of Marxist ideology. And a last one, Pol Pot in Cambodia in 1976 to 79, 
between 1.7 and 2.5 million. I'm just giving you four examples that total close to 120 million human beings in the modern period put to death thanks to Marx's ideology being foisted on innocent people. Friends, Marxist ideology does not work. It has not worked. There's a funny picture out where you've got a couple of young people taking a fork and sticking it into a socket and on the fork it says Marxist socialism and communism and they're saying it's going to work for us it does not work friends and if you see the roots of it it causes chaos so friends I'm calling us to be vigilant and discerning and where we see the name we see the influence of Marx. We call it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. We bring it into the light. We drag it into the light of God's word and let the white, hot, bright light of God's truth shine on it. Now, friends, Colt and I were talking this morning. That doesn't mean that we're fixated and we're out looking for the boogeyman at all. But when we do encounter it, we call it for what it is. And we say, you know what? I know something about Marx and you can't whitewash it. You can't scrub it. You can't clean it up. You can't sterilize it. It's absolutely devastating and it's rotten at its core. So here's what I want us to do. I had a, a last thing here and it's 2 Chronicles 7.14. And so what I'm gonna do, why don't we stand up? I'm gonna ask the ministry team to come forward and we're going to end with 2 Chronicles 7.14. Because friends, I'm hopeful. Are you hopeful? We lift up our heads. We see Jesus Christ is Lord. His kingdom is unstoppable. He will build his church in the gates of hell. Marxist ideology, socialism, communism, fill in the blank. It will not prevail. Jesus, the unstoppable Lord of creation, will build his church. And we're partnering with him, aren't we? Are you partnering with him today? I'm partnering with him and saying, Lord, help me. Keep me out of the ditches. Give me discernment. Give us discernment. But friends, we've got to be prayerful. We've got to be repentant. Repentance is a good word. I want to read this and just point out the few things that the people of God do and then what God does in response. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So friends, saints, this is what we do. We do this now, in this moment, but we make a lifestyle out of it. We humble ourselves before God. We pray. We seek God's face. We turn from our wicked ways. We identify with the sins of our country and say, Lord, have mercy on us, not them, on us. And friends, I'm convinced that the church will arise and do this, that the Lord will answer. And the answer is the Lord moving with great spiritual awakening and revival as it has been in times past. Programs, committees, initiatives, they're all necessary, but the only way 
forward out of this moment right now is the grace and mercy and power of the mighty God visiting us. And so, Lord, we just ask, even this morning, as we fix our eyes firmly on you, King Jesus, that you would pour out a spirit of 2 Chronicles 714 on this local church, on the churches in this region. Lord, we humble ourselves before you today. We pray, we seek your face, we turn from our wicked ways, and we know, Lord, you hear, you forgive, and you heal. So Lord, I ask today as we leave that you would release fresh fire in us as a church that we would pray and fast and give and serve and lay down our lives for one another and for those that you want to save in the world. And Lord, we do all of this from a place of victory because Jesus Christ has overcome. He is almighty, he's the conqueror, and we don't fear death itself. And we pray in his holy name.